You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. Good morning, church. Happy New Year to you. My name's Stephen. If I've not met you yet, it is so good to be in the house of the Lord. For all you guys here, you have 100% attendance. Congratulations. It only goes up from here. So just keep on coming. Trust the Lord. It'll all work out. So just keep on coming to church. It's so good to be preaching to you this morning. Uh, I count it an absolute privilege to open God's word and to talk about it, to take what God has put into my heart and filtered through my heart and to speak it out to you in hopes that it will encourage you this morning. Um, I don't take that for granted. It's been about two years since I've preached and um, man, God has taught me so much and he's always teaching us if we listen. Amen. Um, So New Heights is a very special place for, for me um, I, I met my wife here, Heather. She's sitting there in the middle over here. Um, I remember meeting her, walking in, and God slowly just started pushing us together. And I fell in love with that girl, and, and I married that girl. And, um, you know, whenever we started out dating, um, she loved to hike. And I was like, I hate hiking. Um, <laughs> But man, if she likes to hike, I like to hike. So our first date, we actually went to New River Gorge, and I've got that tattoo on my arm. That's where I asked her to marry me, and it's a very special place to us. And then she was like, hey, let's go to Seneca Rocks. And I was like, Seneca Rocks? What's Seneca Rocks? (laughs) And she was like, here, here's a picture. Look at it. It's beautiful. And I'm like, wow, that does look pretty, pretty nice. You know, that looks beautiful. You're beautiful trying to impress this girl, sure, let's go to Seneca Rocks. And what I didn't realize was that Seneca Rocks is about a straight-up hike, 1,500 feet in elevation. And I'm like, I mean, this is ridiculous. I didn't realize how intense it was going to be. I didn't realize how hard the hike was. And here I am trying to impress this girl that that I'm in love with. And here I am just trying to catch my breath. And, I, and I, I just, I'm really struggling. And this is exactly about how we find the Israelites on their Psalms of Ascent, in which we've been preaching through a Psalms playlist, going through the Psalms of Ascent, where Israel is going back to Mount Zion. They're going back to Jerusalem, and they're coming back home. And however they were able to hike and sing these Psalms at the same time, is absolutely beyond me, Um, but nonetheless, this is where we find ourselves this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. I prefer my Bible big so I can hurt somebody with it if I need to, but open it up, turn your Bible on if you need to, and we're going to be in Psalm 126 this morning. Psalm 126. Verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. 
Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. I've got three points this morning. Point number one, remember the joy of the past. Remember the joy of the past. Number two, live in the joy of the present. And number three, hope in the future joy. Hope in the joy of the future. And so as we go through these three, I I opened up Psalm 126 and I instantly noticed, and if you have a Bible, it's split up in between two stanzas. Verse one through three are in the past tense. Verses four and five are in the present tense. And then verse six transitions into this future promise and this future hope for all those who weep. This psalm has a lot of emotions attached to it. In particular, we see sadness. And some of you, there's immense sadness this morning, and this is very real to you. And then some of you are just happy to be here. You're all jacked up on caffeine, and you got the joy of the Lord. And we are all emotional. I'm, I'm, I'm emotional. I'm probably too emotional for a man. Probably some would call that into question. Um, But before you go all Dr. Phil on me, you guys are emotional too, and I'm going to prove it to you, especially during this time of the year, because we just celebrated Christmas, and with Christmas comes a lot of what? Traditions. And what those traditions do is they bring back this sense of nostalgia, and nostalgia is what triggers a sentimental longing or an affection for the things of the past. See, God has made us unique in the fact that not only are we cognizant of our own existence, like my dogs, they don't know what day it is. They just like 60 second memory. But not only are we cognizant of our existence, but we have memories. And so we have the ability to think back. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, said this, nothing strengthens faith more effectually than the memory of a previous experience. When we remember the joy of our past, it makes it easy to live in the joy of the present. And whenever we live in the joy of the present, we're able to have joy and hope in the future. Amen? And so the psalmist approaches the reader. He approaches his audience in this way, in a progression of past, present, and future joy. And this is how we're going to approach the text this morning. He prompts Israel to remember their restoration. He said, when the Lord restored our fortunes. Whenever I first read that, my mind couldn't help but to, but to translate that with a 21st century privileged mindset. I'm like, ooh, fortunes. Man, this is good. And we tend to immediately do that, but the phrase is literally translated from Hebrew, which helps us uh, view it in its proper context. And in and, and, like the King James Version, it says, return our captivity. 
And see, so this helps us understand where the Israelites are at during this psalm. Whenever they are singing this psalm, they are returning from captivity. In Jeremiah chapter 25, during the time of 2 Kings, see, what's hard is the Bible is is, uh, not written the way you read it in your Bible, but oftentimes they overlap. And so Jeremiah the prophet is speaking even during the time of while 2 Kings is there being written, and he, he prophesies 70 years of captivity. And it's no secret that Israel failed God over and over and over. They provoked God's anger because of idol worship, and what they did was scattered themselves. God's wrath and his justice was poured out on the Jews and they were scattered. Their temple, their places of worship was sieged. It was plundered and it was burned to the ground. Everything they knew was lost. Israel, men, women, and children, enslaved first by the Babylonian and the Assyrian captivity and then by the Persian captivity. See, after 70 years of sadness, immense sadness, after 70 years of captivity, God moved the Persian king's heart of which they were in captive in Ezra chapter 1. And the king reestablishes, by God's grace, the king, a foreign king, reestablishes Israel's calendar, their Jewish calendar. He reestablishes their Jewish feasts. And by the grace of God, King Cyrus let the Jews go back to their homeland. And so over 50,000 Jews made the first return from from the Persian Empire, and they're going home to Jerusalem. And for whatever reason, not all of them went, but some of them, maybe they were scared. Maybe they thought that the Persians were playing a trick and they were going to attack them. Maybe some of them were living an ungodly lifestyle and they just were comfortable and they wanted to wait. But many years later, a second return was made. And then years later, the king gave Nehemiah permission to build the walls back up around the temple. And so a third return was made. And this is where the Psalm of Ascent come into play, where they traveled back up to Mount Zion, the Temple Mount, to worship their God. But see, restore our fortunes, what we see in the ESV, I don't believe to be wrong because it summarizes the return of everything. Their celebration feasts, their calendar, their people, their temple, their land, their riches, everything was restored. But it was more than just this returning from captivity. See, Israel's fortune, their gold, silver, and their bronze, it was taken away, and it could be taken again. But even more so, what God did was he restored their fellowship with him. And that was kept and given by God alone. See, we are a lot alike with Israel Because God has restored us unto himself. And our restored fellowship is fulfilled through the mercy and grace of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God's mercy 
was withheld. The judgment that we earned through our sin was withheld from us and put on his son, Jesus, in our place. God's grace is unmerited favor, a gift that we don't deserve, but was freely given. And so in God's great kindness, Israel came back home to Jerusalem with a temple that a foreign king paid for. And they didn't deserve that. But even more so, we are God's temple. And King Jesus paid for us with his blood. And so this should bring a response out of us. That should make you excited that God has restored us back into himself. There should be a response to the ransom of Christ. There should be a response to the restoration of God. If you can imagine being in Israel's shoes, being in captivity and losing everything they knew, being in suffering and sadness for 70 years, everything they knew gone, and then returning back home, you could see where it would feel like a dream. And so verse 2 makes sense. It says, then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. See, the most natural response to God's restoration is our worship. This is why we worship, because we have been restored. Romans 12, 1 and 2 are two of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. And the Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. King Jimmy's version says, reasonable service. The Greek says logikos. So the mercies of God, the most logical thing to do is to worship him. And so the goodness of God is so apparent that their mouths were filled with laughter and their tongues have shouts of joy. And we reply this morning in joyful worship, but we don't just worship with these singing lips. We worship with sacrificial lives every single day of the week. And if God had never restored Israel, he would be vindicated completely. If God had never restored you or me back into fellowship with himself, he would be completely vindicated because he is God, the maker of all things, and he can do what he wants. And you and I, we sin daily. Israel sinned daily. He could have easily left us where we were, where we walked to, lost in darkness, in our shame, and in our sin. But he didn't. He sent his son Jesus to die in our place because his heart is for us despite our rebellion. Amen? So we worship with great joy and we share in Israel's testimony. It says, and then, moving on in verse verse two and three, and then the nations said, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. When's the last time you counted your blessings? Aware of your blessings. Taking time to think about what God has done in your life. 
Here we are, a brand new day in a brand new year, and we remember what God has done in 2022, and we look forward to a new year in 2023. And oftentimes we come before God in our time of need, but we easily forget the countless times that he has worked on our behalf before. We should be praising God as much as we pray to God because he is not only there when we need him, but he has been there the entire time. It says, when the nations said the Lord has done great things for them, Israel could have easily responded, yeah, right. You know, where was God when my family was scattered and I couldn't find them? Where was God when I had no food to eat? Where was God when my place of worship burned to the ground? I'm done. But they didn't. They remembered the faithfulness of God and where they were before. They remembered the days of old in Egypt, generations before. They could have easily... You could easily let your suffering in this life choke out the joy of today, the joy of your salvation, the, the faithfulness of God. But instead, no, Israel agreed with the nations and they said, indeed, the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. See, the simplest joys in this life are given to us by a good and gracious God. The breath we breathe, the cars we drive, the dogs we have, the kids we have, every single thing from my sweet cream cold brew to my wife is a gift from God. And that is good. But he is better. And so the physical things of this earth point us to spiritual blessings that we have in heaven. And so the past joy that we remember increases our joy in the present. So not only do we remember the joy of the past, but point number two, we live in the joy of the present. Say amen if you're with me. Some of y'all looking scared. I promise I'm not as mean as I look. I promise I won't hurt you. See, verse four begins to transition into the present tense. Verses one through three in the past, and then verses four and five move into the present tense. So when the psalmist wrote Psalm 126, I believe it to be between the first and second return of exiled Jews. Because what has happened in verses one through three, the psalmist prays in verse four, he repeats himself but this time in the present. So he's wanting God to do for the second return what he did for the first return. And so he's praying, God, what you did, do it again. In 2018, I got married to my beautiful wife. We bought a house and then we both quit our jobs. It's just what you do. And I remember like, you know, like, you know, I remember God being very real and being very personable during that time. Um, I had worked uh, for seven years at Pepsi working evening shifts and I knew if I wanted to stay married for very long, I needed another job. Um, and God, I felt had called me into full-time ministry. And so I took a position as a, uh, as a pastor 
And my wife, she got a job as a teacher. And so we started our life together in 2018 with different jobs. And God was very faithful to us. He provided for us during that time. My relationship with God grew because of what I went through. And then in 2021, I left that pastoring position and it was very hard, Um, very hard. The people that I had served with, the people that I had done ministry with, the people that I've loved and walked with, I left. We left. She gets on me. She says, I'm here too. We left. And that was very difficult, but my mind went back to what God did before, and I knew what God did then, he could do now, right? And so what our trials and our tribulations should do is trigger our minds to remember the faithfulness of God and his kindness and his goodness to us, and then help us remember it again to remember the faithfulness and the kindness of God. The same goes for the trials, not only in my life, but yours, because there will be times when our faith is tested by suffering, right? Either in the, you, you just got out of one, right? There's that old, old country saying, you know, you either just got out of the storm, you're in a storm, or you're about to go through one. And that's the truth. And we will face them time and time again, but we have to remember that God is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so not only do we see the joy in our own life because of what God has done in the past, but we pray that others have this joy also. The psalmist cries out, bring home more captives to worship you during, like you did during the first return. Deliver them like you did the generation of Moses when two million Jews escaped the enslavery of Egypt and they walked out and they went through dry ground through the Red Sea. God, what you did, do it again now as we go home and worship you on the Temple Mount. And for you, whenever God walked you through whenever you wandered away from him and he didn't let you go and he brought you back, pray that he does that for others. Amen? When you witnessed your loved one hurting and you didn't know why, but God healed them, pray that God does that for others. When you couldn't pay your bills and somehow you got more money than you think you should. Like, it's like, where's this money coming from? I don't even know. I don't work that much. And God keeps on paying my bills. Do it again, God, for other people. And so God's faithfulness should ring true in our own life, but it should ring true in others' life as well. Because God restored your salvation, he can restore the salvation of others. See, God is powerful enough to change your life, your friend's life, and your enemy's life all in the same day. And not only is he capable, but he will do it again and again and again. And the psalmist knows this. He knows that God's character and his nature and his attributes never run dry. He knows that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever because he prays and he begs God, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of Negev. And so the streams of Negev, they had a propensity to dry up. 
during those seasons of drought, they dried up. But when it rained, they flooded and they overflowed and they gave life to everything that surrounded it. Similarly, but even more so, God gives life to everything that surrounds him. I'm reminded of Psalm 23 when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. See, the promise of joy is not absent from the promise of sadness. The reality is, is that the sadness of sin and the sadness of suffering will be ever present in this life, which makes it very difficult to live with joy in the present. And this is a result of the fall of man. God created the Garden of Eden perfect. He created Adam and Eve perfect. The cool of the morning, the fellowship that they shared, it was perfect. And then through one man came sin and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, as Romans 5.12 says. The corruption of creation through the fall disrupts God's natural rhythm. And the sin of Israel disconnected their fellowship with God. And our sin similarly disconnects us from the fellowship of God. And that is why we need Jesus. That is why you need Jesus this morning. Because he bridges the gap in between God and our sin. Because we're never going to stop sinning. We're never going to stop suffering and we need someone greater to go before us. Our broken and depraved hearts have a void within them and it craves to be filled. And so what we end up doing naturally is creating these idols in our heart to try to fill that hole. An idol is anything that we put above God. And we do this over and over, knowing that it won't satisfy because it's, it's, a, it's a hole that God intended to fill with his son, Jesus. Idols are only going to reap a weak imitation of joy called happiness. And that's the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is an emotional feeling, something that is temporary and fleeting, but joy is eternal. Not only is there sadness in our sin, but there's the sadness and suffering. There's going to be times in this life, as it was for Israel, where all seems lost. We will experience that heartache and suffering. First Peter 4:12 and 13 says, "Beloved, do not be surprised at fiery trials when they come upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you." But rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Pastor Will has preached on this before. I remember it, it was the, the hope and holiness while we were going through First and Second Peter. And he preached on this saying that we shouldn't count suffering as this uh, 
as a surprise or anything um, that we're not ready for because the Bible promises it. The Bible tells us that these, that these trials, that these sufferings are coming, and instead of trying to dodge it or get away from it, we should embrace this suffering, knowing that suffering brings sanctification, knowing that suffering can be done because Jesus suffered. And if he suffered, so will we. And so the tension that we feel between earth and heaven is filled with the hope of Christ Jesus. Joy is promised. This is what I've been hanging on to the entire time I've been studying. He says, those who sow with tears shall reap shouts of joy. Isn't that good? This is what J.R.R. Tolkien called a catastrophe. For you book nerds out there, you Lord of the Ring nerds, I'm looking at you, Matt Mead. But he coined this term, eucatastrophe, and he used it in his books. And it was whenever this sudden sadness was met with this great hope and joy. It, according to him, he says, a eucatastrophe in a story often happens at the darkest moment, when all seems lost, when the enemy seems to have won but a sudden joyous turn emerges. It's whenever doom turns into victory, when sadness turns to joy, when all appears lost, but God steps in. Only God is capable of producing a eucatastrophe in Scripture where all death, sadness, and suffering meets resurrection life in Jesus. Normally you reap what you sow, right? I'm not a farmer at all. I'll say it again, at all. I don't look like a farmer, ain't nothing farmer about me. But I do know that whenever you plant tomato seeds, you reap tomatoes. Is that right? That's what I thought. Whenever you plant pepper seeds, you get peppers. But with God, when you plant Sadness, you reap joy. Isn't that good? It's not like earth shattering, but it's like, man, he disrupts, he changes everything, he substitutes everything. Jesus endured the pain and the suffering of the cross, the death of the cross, so that you could know life. He substituted that out so that whenever you had your sadness and your suffering and your shame and your sin and your problems, he died for it and he endured so you can endure. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ is our joy. He was born. He bore our grief and our sorrow. He bore the weight of the cross. He made peace for us by the blood of the cross. He absorbed the wrath of God for you. And so Christ is our joy because he defeated death and hell. And because he defeated death and hell, he is victorious. And because he is victorious, we are victorious. Christ is our joy. And he is coming again. Amen? Number three, hope and the joy of the future. 
hope and the joy of the future. This is the future promise, right? If you look closely at the last verse of Psalm 126, the psalmist says, he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Unfortunately, church, just because Jesus has taken on our suffering and our sin and our shame, there's still suffering promised in this life. There's still sadness to come in this life. But God has given us a future hope of joy in heaven. See, a Christian's hope is different than the world's hope. I ordered my wife's Christmas presents through the almighty Amazon, like most of you um, did, and I was wishing and I was hoping that they would get here in time. And they didn't, but that's okay, because she's still happy, and you know, we put our faith in Amazon and things don't happen sometimes. See, a, Christian, a Christian's hope is much different than that, praise the Lord. Amazon hope is what it's going to do is going to let you down. But God's hope, a blessed hope, is an assurance in the promises of God. He is a sure and steadfast anchor to our soul. We can have hope in Jesus. Israel's suffering in captivity that was prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 25 wasn't the only thing promised. The sadness and the suffering wasn't just promised. But four chapters later, one that everybody likes to quote out of context in 2911, he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Without the future of the coming Messiah, Israel would have had no hope, no future, lost, separated from God. But he didn't leave them that way, and he doesn't leave us that way. Amen. In Jeremiah 31, he continues and he promises a new covenant, a new covenant in which a Messiah would come into the world to redeem, redeem. It means to be bought back. Jesus had to buy back what he created. The fall of man stole it. But he had to buy it back with his blood. He bought you back. He purchased you with his blood. And whenever he redeemed you, he gave you forgiveness of sin. He declares you righteous. And so you and I, we have a living hope. First Peter 1, 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. We have a future hope in heaven so that anything that happens on earth doesn't shake us because anything on earth is just a shadow of what is to come. And what is to come is far greater, far better. And Jesus has already gone before us to secure our residence and our redemption. And so we hope 
in the future of heaven. We hope for glorification. Glorification is the doctrine uh, of learning the eternal state of God's redeemed, your eternal state in glory. Philippians says that we are citizens in heaven and he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. Can you imagine what a day that that will be? Whenever we're restored, whenever sin and shame is no more, but we will have a glorified body. Romans chapter eight says, not only will we be restored, not only will we be glorified, but so will creation. We will have to go from 50 to zero and back to 70. It'll be great. Sunny and 75 all day long. It's going to be awesome because God's there and darkness can't dwell there because marvelous light is there. Amen. And so we will dwell there with glorified bodies, no sickness, no sadness, no suffering. We will all be overjoyed at the fullness of fellowship that we have as adopted heirs of the king, worshiping him, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. New heights. Until heaven comes, we will be promised sadness. But those who sow in tears will reap shouts of joy. I know you're going through a hard time. I know 2023 is going to bring you some hard times, but do not lose heart. Do not forget the one who went before you to secure it all. And anything on heaven can't touch what is waiting for us. Anything on earth can't touch what is waiting for us in heaven. Amen. So allow suffering to grow your faith in the Lord. Hate your sin and put it to death. Be conformed to the image of God. Sow your sadness into the ground and reap a harvest of joy. Remember the joy of your pasts and let that allow you to live in the joy of the present so that you can hope in the joy of the future. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.